hello everybody and welcome to another episode of We Watch Shudder. My name is JD. Who's here with me? It's Michelle and I'm trying not to yawn. And she's ya- right out the gate. That's all right. I'm going to be I'm doing some yawning to. too. It's been a long ass day, but I'm all, I, I'm, I'm still as energetic as I can possibly be. If this is your first time tuning into We Watch Shudder, thank you for checking out the show. Uh, we didn't watch Shudder this week. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but sometimes Shudder doesn't have new movies, so we don't got things to talk about there. And I mean, sometimes I mean, we talk about stuff there. Yeah, I watched Shudder anyway, but I yeah. did not watch it for the show. Right. So uh, we're talking about movies. Uh, man, I'm... I'm tongue-tied because I'm so excited. Michelle, tell these people what we're talking about while I gain my composure. So J.D. watched a movie starting in 2024. So in January, he watched a movie, and he decided, even though our top movies of 2023 episode had come out, that retroactively he was probably going to put this movie on his best of 2023 list. And that movie is... Where the Devil Roams, a Tubi original, uh, which is how uh, it finally came across my radar. Uh, I, I had an awareness that it existed, but somehow I, I just, it, it, the fact that it had been released eluded me. Uh, Michelle and I, of course, both big fans of the Adams Family's previous film, uh, Hellbender, uh, that was a Shudder original. Uh, and, uh, if you follow the, the ghoul blog at wewatchshutter.com and my series JD Watches Tubi, uh, I did a review, uh, well, so I sort of did a review, uh, for this movie where I basically just said, I'm not gonna say a thing about this movie except it's fucking fantastic and you should go watch it. Uh, and then we decided to do a whole episode about it and I'm super, here's the thing, I've talked to Michelle about the movie. I still, because we haven't had the direct open discussion, I still have no idea how she reacted to this movie. Here's what I do know. I know Michelle was a fan of of, uh, Hellbender. Uh, I know uh, Michelle has also seen one of their earlier films now, which I have not yet seen. This is only the second of their films I've seen. Uh, I believe it's called The Deeper You Dig. Yes. And you you were positive on that film as well, yeah? Yes. Yep. Uh, they have a very distinct style that I yes, saw in Hellbender, The Deeper You Dig, and now also Where the Devil Roams. So it's very clear when you're watching, yeah. you're like, oh, okay, this was made by them. I see it. Michelle, tell these. Very much in that same vein. If people aren't familiar with the Adams family, fill them in a little bit here on, on what the story is. That's just Adams with one D, by the way. We're not talking about mm-hmm. Gomez and Morticia and all those folks. Yeah. Yeah, so the Adams family is a family, and most of them have the last name Adams, and they like to make movies and music together. They do have a band, which I have forgotten the name of, but I know you know, J.D. The name of the band is also Hellbender. Okay, and then, I thought and then that was each correct. And then each E in the name is replaced with a number six. So it's Hellbender, but there's also like a, yeah. the logo, has a, it's pretty cool. Thank you. I could not remember if that was the album name or the artist name. I do have it uh, saved on my Spotify and listen to it a lot after watching the Hellbender movie. Um, But these people, they like to create movies. It is John Adams, the father, Toby Poser, the mother. And then there are two daughters. Zelda Adams is uh, is usually a lead in the film. And then her sister, Lulu Adams, uh, also usually takes smaller roles. Um, I'd assume she's probably involved in other ways. 
Uh, but as, it's mostly John, Toby, Zelda, and then a little bit of Lulu. Yeah, as I understand it, um, like they, the way things get credited is is sometimes a little slapdash. But as as, as I understand it, so John and Toby and Zelda are the are they're the primary cre- creative team, right? Like they they write the movies together. They actually kind of direct them together. I think on this film, they all three share directing credit, if if memory Correct. serves. Directing uh, and writing. Yeah, and and they all write and they all star in those films. It really is a, a family labor of love. The other daughter, Lulu, uh, like Michelle, does some. I I don't know if she's involved in the creative process really heavily, uh, but she does come in. She plays a a fantastic uh part in this film, uh, especially if you understand who she is. It's a pretty great moment. Uh, but uh, yeah, the. Uh, Hellbender really threw me for a loop. I thought it, you guys know if you've been listening for a while, I'm a big fan of witch movies, uh, right? And, uh, and I I think I'm not telling too much out of school here when I say Hellbender isn't exactly a witch movie, but it's kind of a witch movie in it, but it was a really unique spin on things. Uh, I thought it was a really great presentation uh, and I was really excited going into this one. Had you seen this one before uh, I brought it to your attention, Michelle? Uh, no, I had known about it. But of the course, because you know about that... everything. Yeah, exactly. Especially if it's the Adams family, I keep a, a tab on those guys. Um, but I, uh, I think the same day that you said you were going to watch it, I went, "Oh, this would be a good day for me to watch it too," because it had just come out like couple days or a week prior or something so I was like oh yeah I've got that on my radar so we wound up watching it for the first time on the same day and you told me how you felt and I have been completely sure. quiet because I knew you were going <laughs> to want to do a vlog or uh, an episode about it yeah. um, I do want to say you say you're a fan of witch movies and yet you refuse to watch Dead Hot Season of the Witch starring Vanessa Hudgens which is also a Tubi original and could go on your blog of JD Watches Tubi it's I'm not a witch saying, movie. It is it's, a witch movie. It, it's no, a lot it's, about witchcraft. They want to become a witch. Well, she but what I'm saying is, Sadie. like, it's 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 a it's a witch reality show, and I don't give a shit about witch reality shows. Wow. I'm interested in a witch movie. Thank you very wow. much. Depressing. Anyway, I guess we'll go anyway. to this lesser <laughs> witch film. So uh, yeah, the <laughs> Vanessa Hutchins documentary. Uh, so. So where the devil roams is is the movie we're talking about. As I mentioned, like I've said multiple times now, and it's very clear from my my ghoul blog, uh, this is a five skull movie for me. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I believe I described it as a surrealist horror masterpiece. Uh, so many things that I absolutely love about this movie. I will say that I definitely think it's one where. Uh, I think this is one of those real dividers, right? Where if it works for you, it's really going to work for you. And if it doesn't, it, you will probably really not care for it. <laughs> uh, but so, uh, oh, let me throw a quick plot summary here from uh, oh, yeah. from the IMDb. There's a, I'm just going to leave one word out of it because I think it's too spoilery. And I think Michelle will know exactly which word it is. Here's the plot summary. Traces a family of sideshow performers as it travels around the world of the dying carnival circuit. Now that is a vague-ass description for a horror film, but I like that because with a title like Where the Devil Roams and that description, I had 
no fucking idea what to expect. And anyway, uh, Michelle, everybody knows how I feel. Tell us your spoiler-free thoughts, finally, for the first time, on where the devil roams. I want to say I hate it just to see your reaction, but obviously I'm not going to do that. There's a part of me that's like, oh, zero skulls just for the lulls. But I, I, well, I mean, you can try that, but even if you do it as a joke, this podcast is fucking over. <laughs> I can't take Fair. jokes, um, Michelle. <laughs> so, uh, Clock me, I, bro. I, I definitely collect squelching subtitles. People know that about me. If they listen to the show at all, they know that I collect squelching subtitles. I have more than a thousand now. I have them scheduled so that uh, every couple of weeks I'll get a little reminder saying to go add a few more to the website. And then I do that and I feel better about my life. And this, like, I have enough to do the next year with squelching What's subtitles. What's the count right now, Michelle? Uh oh! I will look that up while I am talking and get you a total because I have to go look at my my. Are you over? Let's let, let's do it this way. Are you over a thousand yet? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> She's like, yeah, like. What do you think this is a fucking game, bro? I left a thousand behind forever ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I I definitely I definitely know that I am well over a thousand. Um, but I don't have the total in front of me, and I That's will right. be getting that though because I'm also I'm, curious. I'm, I'm sorry for sidetracking like I always do. Please continue your spoiler-free thoughts. No, that's totally fine. Any excuse to talk about the squelches that consumed my life. Um, it's just, it's my weirdest hobby. And you know what? I love it. It's unique to me. Uh, people email me their squelches. Um, I just love it. Squelches make me happy. Now, You're I am welcome. not saying. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I am not saying that every good movie I watch has squelches. And that uh, every movie that has squelches is going to be something that I enjoy. What I am saying is that there is definitely a distinct correlation between movies that I really enjoy and the number of squelches involved. I feel like every time there is a movie with a lot of squelches, I'm going to like it. This one has 11, and yet I feel like it could have more. Um, so because it's not like 16 or so, I'm going to go with a 4.75. 4.75 with a five. Yeah. This guy's, yeah. uh, I, I, I like, I really want to talk about this. There are so many things about this movie that are fantastic, but I, I really, please, if you trust me and Michelle and our opinions on anything, if there was ever a movie that I would ask you to please go see before we get into the spoiler territory. This is one of them. You you don't, like I said, I, I knew nothing about this except it came from the people who made Hellbender and it was about a family of sideshow performers and it was a horror movie. Other than that, I had no idea what to expect and I want you to have that experience too. It was... Like and again, I I definitely know there are going to be people out there that this doesn't work for. It is a very uh, I, there's a word I'm looking for and it's escaping me, but uh, it's, it's a very particular movie. Uh, yeah. And but oh god. Anyway, go see it. Uh, I do want to put something in the spoiler free section in case somebody's kind of still on the eh side of it, and that is I felt dumb watching it and if you feel dumb watching it that's okay you don't have yeah. to get the movie i've watched it twice now i still have no idea 
Like there's so much stuff that I'm like, I don't get it, but I like it from a literal storytelling sense. So for yes. the record, if you feel dumb, that's okay. I just want to let you know, just revel in it, um, feel just a little bit lost for a while. It kind of yeah. adds to the experience. I've, I've seen the film all the way through three times now, and I'm going to have to see it at least several more because there's still stuff I'm trying to unpack. Uh, I think I have a good solid handle on what's going on here, but uh, they, I, I just I can't say enough good things about this movie. And so we're going to do the spoiler stuff now yeah. uh, before yeah, we, we do are. that. I'm so, man, I'm I'm fucking amped on this before we get into the spoilers. Michelle. Yeah. Would you please for yeah. Jenna and everyone else? <laughs> we love you, Jenna. I, I you're such a good sport. Uh <laughs> please tell people what happens in this fucking masterpiece of a movie. I will try my best. Um okay, so to sum up what happens uh, there's a family and it is John Adams, Zelda Adams and Toby Poser. Wow. The real life family is playing the movie family, just like most of their movies. Uh, John Adams plays a guy named Seven. Toby Poser plays a woman named Maggie. Zelda Adams plays their daughter, Eve. Eve doesn't speak. She only sings. And no, it's not a musical. Uh, she's not one of those kind of ladies. She just she only speaks in song. And that's pretty great. Um, except for when she is not speaking in song and that becomes a problem later. So, uh, Maggie seven, even, or even Maggie seven Eve are, uh, traveling around with this carnival. And, uh, there's another guy who's in the carnival and his name is Mr. Tips. And he is called that because every day his show is to cut off of his, cut off his fingers. And that's it. And personally, I know that this is from like the Depression era. So their entertainment was very minimal. But today that would not fly. I'd be like, I could see this on Reddit. I'm not really interested in just watching a guy tell a story and cut his fingers off. But you know what? The Depression era, they didn't have the Internet yet. So that's fine. So uh, Eve, she goes to talk to Mr. Tips, except she doesn't talk. It's basically him. It's kind of like this podcast where sometimes JD just talks and I'm present. <laughs> um. <laughs> Not wrong, but fucking ouch. I'm in a little Eve. bit, Michelle. <laughs> I'm the Eve, and you are the Mr. Tips. Uh, so she finds out that Mr. Tips made a deal with the devil, and yada, yada, yada. He only cuts off what he knows that he can grow back or sew back or repair or whatever his phrasing for that is. And then some stuff happens, and eventually uh, Maggie, she likes to kill. She's a huge fan of that. Um, so she just keeps killing all the people who seem uh, a little too privileged because there's a guy who sells the farm that the carnival was on. And then she's like, man, fuck rich people. Eat the rich. Uh, rich. Uh, fuck the 1%. Taylor Swift in her jet. What the fuck? And uh, so Maggie just starts, like, killing people. Um, and then they go to a house, and they kill another guy and some ladies. And then they're just hanging out in the house, seeing what those people have. And then an axe lady played by Lulu Adams. She shows up and she is credited as axe girl. And you know what axe girl does? She axes. So she axes Maggie and seven until they are dead. And then Eve is like, oh, no, I don't like this. So she goes and she steals the thread and the heart from Mr. Tip so she can sew her parents back together. She sews their limbs on. But the problem is, in order for it to actually work, you have to speak the words. And what does Eve not do? She does not speak. Uh, so she can't fully do it. And then they're just kind of stuck. 
killing more people to cut off their limbs and slowly repairing um repairing the parents uh repairing the parents repairance uh and then i'm not positive what happens at the end but now maggie's head is on seven's body and i think it's a happy ending because eve sings the spell but i'm not positive anyway the end where the devil roams that's (laughs) you uh yeah that's uh so what you've you've clearly deduced at this point now is this is a in it's weird because it's not one kind of horror movie, right? It starts out as kind of like a weird slasher home invasion kind of thing. Uh like a, like a revenge uh uh home invasion situation and then it becomes this just phantasmagorical body horror nightmare uh and it's it's just uh there's so much going on here that uh like and once you get underneath it like so it has its its plot right it has those surface details uh i don't think this movie is uh really metaphorical in a lot of ways but it definitely has some themes like ultimately when you strip away the details this is a film about traumatized people who find family and and some kind of healing or respite from their trauma with other traumatized people, but they also it's 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 a weird sort of codependence where like they're still acting out these terrible behavior they're killing people. Right? The movie opens with Maggie murdering her mom, which we later find out is because her mom was some kind of crazy abusive asshole. Uh, right? And so now she's also grown into an adult who's just like, because she does all the killing. Everybody else is there, but she does all the killing. And, uh, and uh, Eve takes the photographs. Uh, and then uh, Seven was a doctor in the war. Uh, and he was trying to to heal, like like save this guy's arms or cut off the dude. There's a lot of cutting off body parts in this movie, a lot. Uh, and so great cuts, effects with how oh, they do it. Fabulous, oh, well done. Practical yes. effects all the way. And there there is a little bit of CG in this. It's a couple of small things. I think the tank in the woods is a CG effect. And when the house There's little ex- spurts of blood, it's very yeah, minimal. When, though. when the uh, the one that really stands out is to me was when the house explodes. The flames are pretty obvious, but I just couldn't mm-hmm. possibly give a fuck because it's so good. Yeah. Um. It's uh, uh. But he his trauma is that I mean, first of all, he, he well, he's a traumatized war veteran. He he's got wartime PTSD, and his big trauma is finally to save himself from he's in this tight spot where there's this other dude who's injured and won't shut up but the bad guys are trying to find him and so he ends up murdering this guy to prevent the bad guys from finding them he's saws this dude's head off with a surgical saw and his face is splattered in blood and now we understand why every time he sees blood in his real life he's traumatized and he faints Right, but we don't know that. All we know is, for some fucking reason, they blindfold this guy every time they kill somebody. 
because every time he sees blood, he freaks the... The way this movie is structured and reveals its secrets to you so you understand those things is so great. There's a moment in the middle of this where uh, uh, Maggie says to Seven that she thinks it's time for Eve to meet her brother and sister, and they just never mention it again. It's there, and so like you know, and I... I, I I think the idea is that Eve is Maggie and Seven's child, but the other two children are Seven's from a previous uh, marriage. Yeah, but yeah, uh, that's what I got from it too. It's uh, it's just so layered, and everything is you don't understand what's going on until they tell you. But once you understand, you see how the layers built to it. It's it's so and then it just goes off the fucking chain. It's this beautiful, like classic old school horror reveal where the whole movie is pushing forward towards this one gigantic climactic moment. And that, I think, is the is the crowning thing of it, because like you said, it's like, is it happy? Uh, And it's like, yes, from an outside perspective, it's horrifying. And it's just like, what the fuck? But from inside, like, this is, these are three people who have nothing but each other, right? And they are willing to do anything, no matter how vile and repulsive it is, to keep what little they have. And I think that does say, like, it's very reflective of a lot of people who have experienced severe trauma and the types of bonds they form and the behaviors they carry out. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, is, is that the kind of stuff that you weren't sure about, Michelle? <laughs> or did you catch no, all of that I, when you were watching? No, I, I caught basically all of that. Yeah. Um, I did expect this to be kind of like Mad God, which is one of my favorite episodes that we've done. It's back before I think I was even using a microphone. I was still using my gaming headset. But Mad God came out when we were just a couple months into the podcast and your analysis of it blew me away. I think it's how we first saw a spike in listeners was that, people yeah, that, that episode was a that landmark out. for us. Uh, and it uh, yeah. like I can only say such great things about it because it's such a phenomenal it just like this is next level filmmaking to me. Like this is as great as like this is on the same level as Ari Aster films or Rose Glass's Saint Maud. Like this is that level of fucking fantastic filmmaking. Uh the entire Wait, ca- don't continue. I want to finish complimenting you if I may. Please do. <laughs> or, I was trying one another. I don't I'm 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 not good at being complimented. <laughs> I know, I know, but I was gonna say like the Mad God one is is one of my favorite episodes because you blew my mind and then we were getting messages from people being like, Oh my god, JD understood so much more. So while watching this the first time I told you like I to go back and rewatch it when I can focus and you're like no you should be watching it fully and I'm like I am but like my mind keeps wandering like I'm I'm having the hardest time figuring out what I'm looking at uh the second time was a little bit easier but I think this movie will be such a huge hit with people who are very smart about movies and I think that you are very smart about movies and like we all like I don't think somebody's like just generally intelligent sometimes they are they're just smart about a lot of different subjects but we all have our niches of our thing minus squelches <laughs> smart I, yeah, I, I, uh, I, 
I do. But you, you know uh, movies. Yeah. I'm trying to recognize my positive. Uh, like I, I used to be a very self-deprecating kind of person, and I still am to a certain extent. But I am trying to uh, uh, to be more acknowledging of my own strengths, and uh, I'm not always good at it. But let me tell you the 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 reason I feel so disconnected from movies where I don't understand what they're trying to tell me is because I do feel like I'm pretty good at understanding what you're trying to tell me. And so that mm -hmm. if you f if, if I wasn't able to put all the pieces together, I almost feel like uh I don't know, it's just the story didn't work for me. You didn't give me just enough. I and that's the 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 thing for me is I need just enough. This movie uh, just those those layers of ideas. Like I said, one of the things I love about it so much is it's just, it's such an immersive world, right? Like, like I think aside from John and Zelda and Toby, there's not a legitimate actor in the, well, maybe Mr. Tips, but so many, and, and they come across very much as people who they were recruited uh, more for their appearance and their their atmosphere, their the 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 element, the visual and stylistic elements they bring. There's a lot of of heavily tattooed people and heavily pierced people in this uh, very unique looking folks who have chosen to present themselves in a very artistic way. Uh, but the whole and even the ones who aren't like. You got the people who are, and like they, they do this clown act so much that they don't even bother to take their fucking clown makeup off when they're done, right? And you got these two dudes who are like a musical act called the Swingin' Boys, and they're just walking around with like, like potato sacks on their heads and hangman's nooses around their necks. It's such a fully developed and immersive and realized world that I just thought was so incredibly effective. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the uniqueness of the people in this movie, I have terrible, terrible face blindness. I, I get people mixed up all the time. Um, it happens in real life. I just have no concept of what people look like. Um, and so the first time I watched this, part of my confusion came from Seven and Mr. Tips not being the same person. It oh, took no. me a little too long. <laughs> to figure that out to be like why is her father being so cold and weird to her right now i totally thought they were the same person and then later on when lulu adams comes out with the axe i was like why is eve killing her parents all of a sudden i thought because <laughs> because maggie says the same but no because maggie says go uh they're about the, your size go see if they have the same clothes right, and right. did you move that axe so yes. i thought I she went and changed here in a minute. yeah she went and changed and grabbed the axe and then like axed her parents and then like took pictures of them. I don't know. I, w I was so confused. And I'm like, I feel so dumb at those moments of like, oh, my God, of course, they're different people. But I just I cannot catch it. Um, Let's go ahead and talk about that scene. I have a, a couple other things, but they, they are completely off uh, yeah. off that subject. So that entire sequence. Right. And, and I'm sorry if this is. We're bouncing all over the place, but it, that's kind of what we do anyway. That particular they sequence... They don't expect structure. All the way through is just, I thought, masterfully done. Because you have, you know, their their car breaks down. Uh, and they've established that, you know, look, they're murderers, right? But in their minds, they have a code, right? They're only going to kill you... 
if you're a fucking asshole, right? Like they they kill this corrupt judge and they kill this banker who foreclosed on a, a poor fella's farm uh, and all that sort of thing. Uh, reminded me of those groups that I forget what they were called, but it used to happen in the in the Depression era when banks would try and foreclose on farms. Uh, and they'd have these penny auctions where all these really wealthy people would show up and all the other local farmers would get together and they'd come around and basically, with threats of violence, make sure they purchased these farms back from the bank for pennies on the dollar and just gave them back to the owners. They literally went to these people and said, yeah, you can bid on the auction today and buy this farm, but we're going to beat you to death if you do that. <laughs> and I, this Anyway... Uh, so they have their own code, and so they go to this house. All they want to do is get a snippet of this guy's garden hose so that they can fix their car and be on their way. And this guy is a complete prick about it, uh, and they just decide, well, man, we gave you a chance. Uh, and then the, just the next thing you see, is, and what I love is there. there's that exchange at the door, and the entire time... Because this is a scene where they murder several people. I mean, they murder this guy, set three people, and you never see them actually murder them. Because and which is odd because you see quite a bit in this movie, but in that exchange at the front door, just quietly in the background, between them is an axe driven into a tree stump. It's just there, sort of blurry, out of focus in the background, and then we come into the scene when everybody's dead. And this dude's head is just fucking caved in, right? You don't know what happened to it. They didn't show you. But if you were paying attention, you already immediately start to assume that axe might have had something to do with it. And then they never tell you specifically. Just at the end of that part of the scene, Maggie's like, Hey, Eve, what'd you do with that axe? And they just put the idea... You, and you think what they're telling you is, Oh, yeah, she used that axe to kill them. But what she's doing is telling you that axe is missing. And when Lulu, uh, first of all, I love just the, the subtext of Lulu coming out and she's their real life daughter and she murders her fucking parents. And that's the only reason she's, that's the only thing she does in this entire movie is she comes out of a closet with an axe and hacks her dad and her mom to pieces and then she gets stabbed in the neck with a piece of broken glass and she's dead uh but i just the way that sequence built to that violent moment and told you everything you need to know and in a moment of uh restraint in this movie that has already gone to some i just thought that was such an incredible balance where they came to you and said okay by the way we can do this too Right, we've been doing this kind of splattery stuff along the way, but oh, we can turn it around and do this. Uh, that's that might be my favorite sequence in the entire film. I just thought it was beautiful filmmaking. This does give us the opportunity to talk about just how fucking good the writing and the characters oh themselves God. are developed. Right. I feel like Zelda, Toby, and uh, John kind of play the same character each time, but I don't mean that in a bad way. Right. They're not gigantic actors. They're not in a million movies, and we're seeing them, and it's oversaturated. 
like Eve could be Izzy from Hellbender and Toby could be Mother from Hellbender, right. uh, aka Maggie in this one. Like mm-hmm. they they are the same exact people, but I love those people and the way that they have figured out how to write dialogue for those people is perfect. Um this has so many darkly comedic moments. I had to write down the two that really got me. Uh, one of them is that Maggie keeps asking if they can go back and turn around because somebody was mean to her and she wants to go murder them, which I relate to. And uh, uh, John, his seven, seven, seven says, uh, Maggie, how about I make us a nice fire and you make us something to eat? And very begrudgingly, she says, I got a potato, I got an onion. And I got them apples. I bet those apples would be real nice in the soup. And it's just so funny. Can't even taste the rot. <laughs> exactly. It's so good. And then the other one that like is just so fucking funny and it's so dark is that she murders the Norwegian guy and Seven sitting there with his yes. eyes covered because uh, he can't stand blood. And he's like, Maggie, what did you do? And she says, Germans, after what they done to you. And he says, he was Norwegian. And she says, is that a kind of German? She says, it's close. And she says, I ain't ignorant. And it's so funny. So not only are these like such great, like it's a solid story in all the movies that they do. It's uh, just this great, very unique story every time. I haven't seen something like this before. And then the dialogue has so many great undertones, not even with just comedy, but they'll say those little things like that axe is so subtle and yet it's perfect every line has a purpose these scripts are great yes and not just the scripts uh but the way especially the way toby as maggie delivers her lines here and that's one of that's one of the elements that i i think is going to be something that that some people won't be able to get beyond but it's this very arch very uh, over-the-top dramatic, very uh, very theatrical sort of, of reciting of these lines. But what I feel like it does, again, in the surrealist context of these people's trauma, is it's a reflection of how she is still, to a certain extent, infantilized and trapped in that violent moment where she murdered... Like, there's a reason... They show you her murdering her mother at the beginning of this film because they're telling you this is going to dominate her life for the rest of her life. Like, this is trauma. And it, like, mo- like it, it begets monsters out of what would otherwise be very sympathetic people. And it gets you into those places. You know, when, when Seven murders the guy, it, like, I get it. Like, like... At this point, the dude is severely injured. You don't want to die, and you're terrified. Was it the right thing to do? Who fucking knows? I'm just glad I've never had to be in that position, right? And I just I love how layered that is. I I love uh, how they give you everything you need to know about these people without spoon feeding it to you. Uh, just the way again, the way Toby delivers those lines. Uh, like Zelda has one of you mentioned this when we were watching the movie the first time you sent me. It's not like it's not even like a like. Don't give me. I, I, it's weird to talk about it. I'm not saying she's not. I can attractive. say the it's, thing if you want not, me to. If it makes you less. No, no. It's it, it's mm-hmm. she has one of those faces that is just fucking captivating. 
and so yep. goddamn expressive. And she, Michelle, I was, I think it was when Tips points out that she doesn't speak when it finally dawned on me that she doesn't speak because I'm so captivated by the performance regardless that it just never registered to me that she hadn't spoken a word except for the little song she sings. Like, she yeah. is so fucking good. And you learn so, like, their their performances are fabulous. So, yeah, it, it's uh, so good. I had messaged you and said, like, I mean, she's obviously conventionally attractive, but it's she's captivating in this other way where well, she doesn't need words. This is my third movie seeing her, and I just can't get enough. I don't know what she's doing. I, I'm like, there's something subtle she's doing that, especially this one where there's no dialogue, I still know exactly how she feels. She's so good at changing it just the tiniest little bit. Um, and I cannot get enough of whatever she winds up doing. I have to see everything. I absolutely adore Zelda Adams. There, she's fantastic. There are probably my favorite moments in this. Are There are little itty bitty moments where she almost smiles. Mm -hmm. Almost. <laughs> Like, you can tell she's just doing everything she can to hold this back. And it's so incredibly well done. Like, she's just... It's one of the most expressive faces I have ever seen in my life. And she knows how to use it. And it's it's incredible. What an incredible talent and skill uh, to possess. Uh, even, not just incredible script and performance, though. The production of this film for people clearly working on shoestring independent budgets in exchange for having the creative freedom they have. Uh, again, you know, there are the, some of the big effects when the house blows up and starts on fire uh, definitely uh, looks a, a little, uh, you know, it, it looks a little wonky. Uh, but most, again, practical effects and makeup that I thought was just really, really effective... Um, really impressive use. Uh, the production value in this film is like this feels like what you might expect a traveling vaudeville sideshow to have been like a little bit more aggressive on the violence. And that's sort of more of a like a French Grand Guignol kind of element to it. But like you mentioned, those those little acts where the whole act is like one magic trick where the guy comes out and he tells a story and he cuts his fingers off and then he goes away. And that's the whole bit, right? Uh, it's, 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 so, uh, it's so well uh, created in that way. Uh, just the I... production value. The, the cinematography is incredible. I love... I, I'm going to talk about it in a minute. I want to give you a chance to speak about just anything at all. Go ahead. <laughs> Sounds good. I was gonna say, don't get into the cinematography yet. That's something I actually have an opinion on. Just wait. talk about it. You go ahead. I'll get my stuff Absolutely. in later. Absolutely. Yeah, I was like, I I knew you were gonna have way more to say about this, and I have. I just have like some some bullet points. I'm like, sweet. I just need to make sure we cross off the list. Um. So, 
the camera work. Uh, this is, I mean, at least the third movie that I've seen these people do together. I'm sure there's been way more, but it's just the third one that I know as an Adams Family film. And they have figured out how to frame a shot. One of my favorite shots is actually during your favorite scene where uh, Maggie stabs Axe Girl in the throat with uh, a shard of uh, the mirror, I believe, broke. And uh, when it reflects, you see her stabbed in the neck um, and it's reflecting back Maggie's horrified face. And that is just perfectly done. Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. beautiful. It's beautiful. Everything that they do, um, just a little bit before that, uh, Seven is sitting on the bed and you're not just watching him on the bed. You're watching from the perspective of a mirror that's perfectly centered on the wall and reflecting back uh, his silhouette. It's all these little things. Same uh, scene. Uh, I keep trying to call her uh, Toby. Maggie is in the hallway and it's just a, a perfect shot from the side and the door opens and you're like, is there going to be somebody behind the door when she closes? We're starting to feel kind of antsy about it and she closes and just goes on her way. It, it's so perfectly framed every single shot. Um, one of the things that I love the most visually about this movie is how it loses saturation and becomes yes! older as the movie yes! goes on. Yes! I didn't notice it the first time. And then this time I was like, I am pretty sure I have not been watching this movie with these little flicks the whole time and that we have been in color at some point, but I, yeah. I don't, I didn't see when it changed. It just subtly does it. One of the biggest shifts with the color saturation and everything is right after, uh, tips confronts Eve and she has that incredible moment where she just puts the, the scissors right up under his chin and just kind of pushes him away in just the most, frankly, terrifyingly calm moment. Like, what a fucking... Mo I could I'd go on all day about that face. Anyway, um, but right after that, and it happened, it, it, like, it goes quick, right? Not yep. only not that only was when they, I noticed it. Not only do they, they, they bleed the color out until it's basically black and white, they gradually bring like an old school silent movie iris in around the image. So you have the shadowy corners. They slowly bleed in more like scratches and flicks to give it more of an older film grain. And it ends up with almost the same look that we had in that opening sequence where the, the dude with the, the missing legs is, is reading the poem, right? Which really only serves as almost a nod to the vaudeville theme of the story, right? Like, they're setting up the story, but other than that, it's very much a prologue and doesn't connect with the rest of the movie at all. Uh, and just uh, just gets us into that head... But yeah, the way it shifts out like that, I think it says so much about how, uh, like, it parallels the rot, uh, right? Like, it, it, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I think even from a, a cleverness perspective, what it also gives them a lot of freedom for is when we do finally get to that big reveal, a desaturated black and white shadowy old school image is a lot more forgiving on the image, mm -hmm. right? So like if that had been done in high, I bet it would not have been nearly as effective. So very smart planning, but also creates this, this visual effect that reinforces, uh, 
I think all uh, to me what it's it's doing is uh, as an artistic statement is it's saying that the further into this they get, the more for them this becomes a simple black and white. Like this is family. This is all we have. There's no question about what we're gonna like. Like it, it removes all that nuance. Like this is what we are now. Uh, and, and and I I at least that's the 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 value or the element that I took from it. And again, also just a very smart way to bring uh some protection to your your effects and such. I thought that was so great. I am so glad you had a theory as to why it happened because I recognized that it happened and had no clue why. Uh, Speaking of no clue why, why was Maggie's head on a man's body? You're going to have to explain it to me. I don't get it. Okay, so uh, she, um, uh, when they initially got killed, uh, she sewed their bodies back together uh, and they they healed up sort of and and were able to keep going, but she doesn't have she she can't uh, make the the spell, uh, so they continue to rot and, and so on. And then eventually their own parts are so rotted that they can't keep them, so they start killing people and stealing their limbs for spare parts. And ultimately, what I think happened is they're ultimately saying here is that. Uh, because of how much, because you'll you'll remember that when Axe Girl kills them, she hacks the fuck out of Maggie, right? Like she only gets mm-hmm. seven once or twice, but she gets him good in the head, and so that's mm-hmm. where obviously his 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 zombifying elements come in in a lot of ways. Uh, but she, and so uh, not only is she putting uh, Maggie's hand and stuff and her leg back on, she's also gradually sewing up all of these other wounds in her body and her body is just slowly rotting and falling apart. And also again, Seven's head is like, that's his, it's been destroyed, right? That's where he's slowly rotting apart because that's the, so what do we do to save them? We take her head off her destroyed body and put it on his, take his destroyed head and and put her head on his body and she knows the spell now because Mm -hmm. Seven heard it because Mr. Tips said it to him because he figured there's no way and that's his dying words, right? And all that matters is that it's, 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 sounded right it doesn't matter if you speak it or sing it they have to hear it and Mm -hmm. so that's that's why there's so much that happens in that last scene right there's that perspective shot where it's now now it's gone completely grainified and weird and you see the you know somebody and i'm just like like it i was like which one is it which one it never fucking occurred to me what i was about to see uh until i saw it uh, and so you see it, and you see the reactions of people as it walks by, and it turns to look at them. Uh, you know, uh, they turn to look at them. I don't even know what the pronouns would be at this point. Uh, but then, and also at this point, uh, uh, Eve, who has for all of their performances worn this pristine white angelic dress with her white angel wings, 
is now wearing like a black coat over that dress and she's got this black hat. She still has the white angel wings, but she's completely changed now, right? There's a line going into your point about great lines. There's a point uh, here where uh, Maggie says, you've got your dad's hands for sewing, but my hands for sticking. And I fucking mm-hmm. love that line. It's so good. Uh, but uh, so they get to that moment. And then what I do love about the desaturation is that when she comes out and sings, suddenly all the color is back. And we're mm-hmm. in reality now. We're outside of their black and white perspective on the ethics of what they're doing. And we get that last image in full stark color. Uh, and it was so good. Just amazingly well done. Giant smile on the face when uh, when Maggie joins in on the song. Uh, so you do have that element of like... You know, uh, is is I mean, it's horrifying and it's weird, but like, is is it supposed to be sad? Is it supposed to be uh, happy and loving? Is it supposed to be about how love will drive you to do terrible things? I think yes, all of that. I understood part of the ending, and I'm glad that you confirmed the parts that I did understand, which was she was singing, so she was using the spell correctly. Um, I think for me, it was less like this is both of my parents together now so I don't have to lose them and like to me I was like did she kill her dad to save her mom because to me like the person is the consciousness so just keeping his body around isn't the same which we could get into a whole thing about that but I think that's why that message got lost on me because I was like why did you kill your dad out of nowhere but now I I get it yeah she didn't kill him is like his head was the wounded part so that was the part that eventually had to go and so that's yep, the best. Exactly. Yeah. They, they, uh, his head was going to have to go and her body was going to have to go. So we put the remains together and it's, uh, yeah. it's God, it's just, it's, uh, the goddamn movie functions on so many levels. And like I said, I've seen it three times now and I still can't stop thinking about it. Just sitting here talking about it. I've already had so many more thoughts about it than I ever had to begin with. And it's just what a, fucking i cannot wait to see what they do next and i need to get off my ass this is the one thing that i'm kicking myself for by uh, adding a a weekly blog column onto our weekly sometimes more than weekly podcast is a lot of my viewing time is taken up with that sort of thing i got a whole archive of shit that i just really want to see that i haven't been able to get to yet so i'm gonna have to find a way to make those uh their earlier films a priority but uh, I, look, I rant and rave and go on all day, and clearly I already have. Do you? Uh, I, I hope I, I at least gave Michelle some reasonable time to talk about things. This is a thing that I've become very self-conscious yet, so of. And Michelle, oh, I'm not. No, I'm not wrapping up. I'm just. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was like, Wait. Uh, no, uh, I, but I just uh, uh, go ahead, Michelle. I don't even know. Okay. Uh, I do need you to watch this movie a fourth time and then do an actual blog analysis of it. So oh God. I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure I, it'll come in the future. I don't Maybe do not this, anytime soon. I don't, I don't typically do this analysis really well in text form. Like, uh, I, 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 de- I definitely get a lot more. I have a lot of insights in this format where we're just sitting here talking about it and mm-hmm. things... Uh, form themselves, but we'll see what I can do. Maybe I'll put something together. Awesome. 
I honestly um, think most of my thoughts about it have been gotten out in this in this podcast. I, I think I don't know that there's any other insights I've got left to provide. I know there's still plenty about it that I'm trying to decompress myself, and I will see it more times. But ugh. I'm sure you're going to come up with more on the next viewing because I think this is one that every time you'll see it, you'll be like, "Oh, there's a little thing I missed." Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I've that already I thought love... of one that I'm going to talk about when you're done, but please take all the time you want. I was just going to say my, my last point is, uh, the way that the Adams family, uh, does their, their films, it's a very specific style and it's a very specific grin- gritty indie style that I feel like I want these people to be millionaires and have tons of money and do the projects however they want. I don't want them to ever lose this this grittiness because it doesn't take away from the film. There's a lot of indie stuff where it's like, this feels like you can afford to do this thing. It feels like your camera was a little outdated and you can tell and it doesn't add to it for whatever reason. It just makes these feel way more organic. The yeah. sound design is a little like sometimes too loud for a special effect. So you're like, it's, oh, yeah, that was a little jarring, but I it's love a punk rock it. Movie I love it. Is, is really what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, some movies, and I'm not saying it's bad, some movies are huge spectacle productions. Uh, you know, they're, they're fucking Metallica stage shows and other movies are just some fucking punk band driving around the country in a van playing in people's basements in the back rooms of pizza shops. And they're some of the best fucking shows you will ever see in your life. And that's what this movie is. This is fucking punk rock cinema. Have we talked about the music? So good. <laughs> There isn't as much in this one, um, and I actually think uh, The Deeper You Dig has no music or, like, minimal music. So I think I'm just working my way through their non-musical stuff because Hellbender was crazy musical. Um, I think I've gotten through everything on my list then. I, I really I needed to make sure I got the potato line in there, so I'm good. One other thing that I, I wanted to talk about because uh, I'm really bad about taking notes uh, or not taking notes. <laughs> uh, one other thing. That when I first saw it, uh, I saw it as as kind of a like a weird uh, inconsistency in the production, and then I saw it again, and then I saw it a third time, and here's what I know: I know they put so much effort into the design of this film and the the production, the way they presented every shot. There's no way this wasn't deliberate, uh, and I I think it was to make you have a sense of unease. Here's what I'm talking about. In the axe scene that we talked about earlier, this is a level of it that I forgot to mention. This movie takes place in the vague past, right? 20s, 30s, post-World War II, or World War I, uh, or maybe it was World War II, I'm not sure. Sort of that era, you know, early 20th century, early to mid. And uh, based on the helmet the guy was wearing, I'm pretty sure it was World War One. But anyway, uh, well, they talk about the Germans. So. <laughs> yeah, yes. probably maybe World War Two. Now, yeah, now that you mention it, or maybe it was World deliberately yeah. vague. I don't know. Uh, they yeah. do a lot of that. But the German, but, uh, he was Norwegian. Is that yeah. kind of German? <laughs> <laughs> That's God is uh, also that fucking. And iron through that dude's neck was pretty fucking spectacular. Uh, There's a squelch there, and I got a really good one for the website. Nice, nice. Uh, but they did a really good job of finding locations 
uh, and and things to be able to disguise that obviously we don't live in that time period. Uh, they go to several buildings. They're inside places. Things look more or less authentic. And here's what stood out to me. They get to the house where they end up axing the dude's head into a just a cave. It looks like they didn't even hit him with the axe end, like they hit him with the blunt end and just caved his skull in. I don't know if you noticed, but as they're going around in that house, like I, I, this is an era where there was electricity, obviously, but did you happen to notice there were very modern light switches very clearly visible on the walls in that house. No, and now that you mentioned, I will take it back and say zero skulls. I should have gone with my first instinct. <laughs> no, and that's How what I'm saying. It's like the first time I saw it, but no, and that's what I'm saying, right? There's no way they didn't, le like they did have obviously some digital budget. They did a few digital effects here and covering up those light switches digitally, if I understand correctly, would be one of the easiest, cheapest fucking digital effects they could ever do. And they didn't do it. And I feel like the reason they didn't do it is to subconsciously create a sense in your brain that something is wrong in this environment. Something is off. Something is not right. Uh, and it's, I, it's, I don't know, maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I just based on how much effort and, and thought is put into everything else, they, I have to believe that like that was deliberate in some way, and I thought it added to that scene. One thing also that I, we, so many things to talk about. What did you think, Michelle? What was your favorite shot? Because there are so many of them. When they do the montage after the first murder, where they're, you know, they're going around killing people and we're getting the newspaper headlines and stuff, there are so many great shots in this of Maggie killing people, right? Like, my favorite is that one where it's just this very, like, old school, very, like, 1930s silent film uh, expressionist sort of thing where she's walking up the stairs with that, that, at that threshing that handheld thresher thing in her in her hand and there's just the colossal shadow blasted up on the wall behind her and she's wearing that goofy hat and it's like this jack the ripper shadow thing so many fantastic shots of her in that sequence did you make special note of that and if so was there one that you loved the most I'm so glad you reiterated the question because I forgot what you had asked me and then answered <laughs> yourself because I was like, I, I have zoned out. Uh, I, oh, the light wow, switch thanks. thing, I do <laughs> I do hear, I uh, hope that the Adams family, um, they listen to this and they're like, oh shit, we missed the light switches. Oh, he thinks it's a creative choice. Nice. And they just start <laughs> telling people that. They're like, if anybody no asks way. about the light There's switch. There's no way. <laughs> Like some editor somewhere would have gotten fired, except you figured out a way to <laughs> save their ass. <laughs> um, I didn't have anything in particular that the montage part caught uh, my attention. I, I think for me, that was just like a stylistic choice. I, I like it. it. Nothing really it stuck so out. Cool. I, know. <laughs> I so can tell you fun. loved it. <laughs> it was great. So much fun. I want to go to the Buffalo Horror Show, Michelle. I want to go get a potato and onion and some apples because I bet those would be real nice in the soup. <laughs> it's one of my favorite parts because she goes from irate 
to happy about a potato oh, and, it, and I relate and to that so that's much. That's another beautiful example of what I was talking about about that sort of infantilized delivery, right? Like she gets that huffy like bottom lip sticking out. She's like like I wanted to kill somebody and he's like because uh, apparently the two things she likes most in the world is killing and cooking. Uh, so he's like, or caring for her family, I guess, ultimately. And he's like, hey, maybe we go make some dinner. And she just like lip out, just like, I do got a potato and an onion. Oh, and I got the, like that, when they show you, she picks that rotten apple off the tree. And then just like, if I remember correct, maybe I'm wrong. I am pretty sure she picked that rotten apple off the tree, turned it around to the unrotten side, and took a fucking bite out of it. Maybe there was an edit that I didn't notice, uh, and maybe I'm just building it up to that in my head, but I'm pretty sure she ate a half rotten apple for that movie, and kudos to her. (laughs) The Addams Family is listening to this and taking so many notes of, like, if anybody asks about the light switch and the apple, don't tell them it was an effect. (laughs) Tell them that, yes, Toby took a bite of a rotten apple and it was hardcore. Well, if it was an effect, it was fucking effective. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, an effective effect. See what I did there? I'm clever with words. Yeah. I'm not. Michelle, I'm... I think I'm out of words. I am terrified that, uh, of what this waveform is going to look like. See, this is what happens after we're done recording these episodes because I've become very self-conscious about it. And Michelle reassures me that it's really not a big deal. She just likes to make fun of me about it. But I am going to stop this episode and I'm going to zoom out and look at the full waveform before I get uh, everything. And I'm because it was split into two different recordings for me and Michelle and then we put it together. And I'm going to look at it and I'm going to be like... This is a 62-minute episode, and it looks like I spoke for 52 of those 62 minutes, and I'm going to feel real shitty about it. But No, you tend to, to say something and then rant about it for a while, and I say the thing and say what I meant to say in four sentences. So we make well, like the I, same amount of points, but I just do mine in a mo- more succinct manner. Well, Yours I, is a very colorful, artistic way of stating things. It's it's fucking verbose and bloated and inefficient and ridiculous, but I appreciate uh, you humoring and, me. And would like to reassure JD that it's okay that he talks a lot <laughs> on a podcast where the whole thing is that we have to talk a lot. Uh, if you could give him some reassurance, because yeah, I just, he does stress about it. Yeah, well, I I I I'm trying to be better, but I do do a lot. I just I said do do. Uh, I I've started to become more conscious of how much I interrupt people, and it's uh, it's hard when you're 43 and trying. Trying to be a real person for the first time, but uh, I'm getting better at interrupting you back and saying, "Wait, no, please, give yes, me a please moment. do." So it's good; it's helping me with my Slap assertiveness because I'm a lady. I was taught to be nice and courteous and don't overtalk the men, folk. Um, so it's, it's giving me like a little bit more courage to be like, "No, wait, let me finish. Hang on." Yeah, and I was <laughs> I was taught to be a men. This. I was taught to be a men folk, where it's just like just say whatever the fuck you want to say whenever you want to say it, and <laughs> like who gives a shit whether other people are talking because that's how men are taught to behave in our culture yeah 
That could be a whole episode on its own. <laughs> Instead, there are, I have a nervous giggle I do constantly. There That's are, what I'm self-conscious of on our recordings. Ugh. There are people who have been listening to us since day one or even for a long time who are like, how many fucking times are they going to have this conversation on the <laughs> podcast? So there's another thing for me to be self-conscious about. Oh, shit. Michelle, what are we how talking about next week? How many times do we have week? this conversation how many times do we have this conversation off the podcast? That's what you should be thinking about. Oh, my about. God. Yeah. If you uh, think we talk about it a lot more. here, you should see how uh, we've talked about it twice already today. <laughs> uh, to answer your question, next week we have the new Shutter release. Did not look up if it was an exclusive or an original, but it is History of Evil. And I will be watching it. While visiting my bestie in Colorado. So I'll be in Colorado Springs watching History of Evil with him. For those of you for those of you who follow us on social media, the bestie in Colorado that she's going to be watching this movie with is the the very nice gentleman in the video that Michelle took of him watching when evil lurks. When we get to the dog sequence and his reaction to it, that's who she's going to be watching History of Evil with. Michelle, I expect you to have your camera ready. I, uh, well, I guess this one you won't know for sure when things are going to happen. So maybe just, you know, roll tape on the whole thing without him knowing and <laughs> make sure you hope you catch something good. Maybe throughout the day, I'll just uh, take a lot of bathroom breaks and watch the movie in five minute increments. <laughs> So that like I'm just in the bathroom watching just a bit more of it and trying to timestamp so I know when to record him uh, during like the moments and then being like, whoa, I was just really oh. good guessing the scary part was coming up. <laughs> I mean, I, I could try to watch it earlier in the day and not give you any spoilers besides like, hey, pay mm. attention around here. Now, that's too spoilery. I don't want to tell you when you got Guys, I, look, it's late. We got to get this episode edited. I don't have anything else worthwhile to say, except if you haven't watched this movie yet, what a dummy. I just ruined it all for you. But seriously, go fucking see it. It's so good. And go it's watch Hellbender. Watching. Uh, go yeah. check out all the other stuff that they've done, even though I haven't gotten around to it yet. It's absolutely a priority on my agenda. I think that's all. I can't believe that Hellbender only has a 5.8 on IMDb. That's criminal. Hey, there's another thing. By the way, uh, where, where the Devil Roams on Rotten Tomatoes right now, I believe has either 35 or 36 uh, critics reviews. It is 100% fresh in the critics reviews. Audience score is 57%. Who gives a shit about the audience score? I do when it's better than the, the, the critics score. Uh, basically, I'm like, so a lot of the times I'm like, what well, fuck do the critics know? All that matters is what these people think, right? They're the ones out there buying the tickets. And then other times I'm like, well, these fucking schmucks know, right? These critics, they're the people who know some shit or two about movies. Did I just say some shit or two? I don't even know what I'm saying at this point. Please say goodnight, Michelle. Goodnight, Michelle. For more horror content, visit WeWatchShudder.com, where you'll find our world-famous patent-pending ghoul blog and squelch files, as well as a schedule of upcoming episodes. Find us on social media, at WeWatchShudder on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and, I guess, Twitter, if you're still doing that for whatever reason. You can email us, mail at WeWatchShudder.com is the address, mail at WeWatchShudder.com. You can even call and leave us a voicemail, 701-566-9510. No, really, 
701-566-9510. Give it a shot. See what happens. We Watch Shudder is a production of Rat Factory Media.